Dr. Luis Sandoval is accomplished in the fields of mental health and spiritual warfare, a medical doctor, board certified in neurology, psychiatry, and family medicine. He is also a psychiatrist for the Roman Catholic Diocese of Orange, Ministry of Healing and Deliverance. Now, Dr. Luis Sandoval. All right, folks. Well, welcome to the Dr. Luis Sandoval Show. Welcome to Virgin Most Powerful Radio. As always, I am your host, Dr. Sandoval. I hope everybody's doing well out there okay. Um, <clears throat> you know, well, I hope everybody's having a good prayer life. I hope everybody's been having a good month of June, a month dedicated to the Sacred Heart of our Lord. Um, and, you know, something happened this week, uh, which I want to talk about. I was going to do the show a little bit differently, but, you know, I got a phone call and, and it just, and it was an interesting phone call um, that really made me think about, gosh, I talk about this all the time, but now it happened to me. Now we got to see what, you know, how do I handle this? And we're going to talk about what that is as soon as we pray the angels here at the top of the noon hour. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. The angel of the Lord declared unto Mary, and she conceived of the Holy Spirit. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Behold the handmaid of the Lord. Be it done unto me according to thy word. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. And the Word was made flesh, and dwelt among us. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Pray for us, O Holy Mother of God, that we may be made worthy of the promises of Christ. Let us pray. Pour forth, we beseech thee, O Lord, thy grace into our hearts, that we, to whom the incarnation of Christ thy Son was made known by the message of an angel, may by his passion and cross be brought to the glory of his resurrection, through the same Christ our Lord. Amen. Saint Michael, the archangel, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray, and do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl around the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, folks, special show today. Um, it's always a special show. It's always special when I get to talk to our Catholic audience, to get to talk to our listeners, our monthly donors. Always appreciated. Um, interesting, though, you know, I was preparing for my final show here for the month of the Sacred Heart, and I was asking myself, well, how are we going to close this? What is it that we're going to do? And the show today is entitled, I Love You. Um, why is it entitled that? Why is I Love You in there? I think that's the bottom line. You know, when we talk about the Sacred Heart, we look at what the Sacred Heart looks like. We look at that. We have to conform our hearts to the, what the Sacred Heart looks like. Am I ready to put a crown of thorns around my heart? Am I ready to sacrifice? Am I ready to have that fire for God, for the love of God? And am I ready to take up my cross? That's really what it comes down to. That's the sacred heart. It's, just, it's the heart of Christ. He's telling us, I'm ready to do this for you. Am I ready to do that for other people? And, you know, one of the things that, as I was getting ready for the show, I thought, well, you know, it's it's the end of this, the month of the sacred heart, end of, end of the month of June. A lot of controversy during the month of June. A lot of uh, pointing fingers, a lot of back and forth, a lot of different things going on. Um, but a lot of really good things happening as well. I think the championing for our faith 
to defend our faith. Seeing so many people gather at Dodger Stadium on the 16th, 5,000 Catholics strong, to say, hey, our faith is not going to be mocked. We're not going to be made fun of. That's the sacred heart right there. We're going to sacrifice. We're going to put ourselves on the line and we're going to sacrifice and we're going to say, no, this isn't going to happen. Not on our watch. We're not going to we're not going to sit by quietly and idly and let anybody make fun of our faith and our religion. You know, that's a really important aspect of where our heart is. I wanted to join there. I wasn't able to because I had to be at home. I had to be carrying out my vocation. My vocation as a father, as a husband, um, that's where I was needed to, like I was telling my friends, hey, I'm going to be there with you. I'm just going to be praying from home. I'm going to be battling from home. Every time I have to you know, look down and, and uh, uh, be patient because my child might not be behaving well, trying to be a good father. That's the struggle. That's the, that's the fight right there. That's the Christian fight. That's the heart of Christ, where I say, hey, right from home, right from the domestic church, I'm doing spiritual battle. I'm going to do this so that, you know, everybody at Dodger Stadium is doing well, so that everybody uh, in their, in their um, prayer battle is doing well, so that our Lord continues to bless us, so that we can keep our faith. And we don't just do that throughout the month of the Sacred Heart. We do it all the time. You know, where every time we're doing something that we feel might be a struggle or might be hard, uh, every time we feel like our vocation in life is too hard, but we get up and we do it anyway, that's where we're the heart of Christ. And that's where we're saying, I love you to each other. I bring this up because I got this phone call. I said uh, at the beginning of the show here, you know, it's an interesting dilemma when as a, as a psychiatrist, you can easily say, oh, here's what you need to do for yourselves. Here you get this phone call or, you know, somebody in your family is in dire straits and um, how are you going to help them out? But it was interesting because now it was somebody in, shall we say, my family, a close friend of mine, um, gives me a call and says, hey, listen, um, I got to talk to you, man. Something's going on with my family. And I said, well, what's going on? It wasn't, uh, I could tell something was going on with the boys. They were like, just give me a call. I hadn't talked to them in a while. Um, they were saying, I just need, I just need to talk. I, I need your expertise. I need, um, I need to be able to, uh, reach out. I could tell from my friend's voice that something was a miss. Something was a jar. I, I wasn't sure what it was. Uh, first it was a voicemail. So I had to call back. Um, but I knew something wasn't right. So I called back and and I just said, okay, well, what's going on? You need my expertise in the back of my mind. I'm already thinking you're gonna you want some something's going on with somebody's mental health or or something along those lines or somebody's health anyway. Um, and sure enough, he tells me, hey, you know, um, I'm calling you because I don't know what to do. My son, who's an adult, he's probably in his mid twenties. Um, he was putting a gun to his head, and I have no idea what to do. You know, he's okay now doesn't have it there anymore, but I did not know that my son was doing so bad and I just don't know what to do now. So many different things went through my mind and I knew we're going, was going through his mind, my friend's mind. Um, you know, we've got a situation here, his son not doing well, obviously, but my friend found out through a phone call. He didn't go and find him that way, but as they were talking, he was saying, son, what's going on? You're not, you don't seem right. Something's off and obviously suffering from depression. Um, but then his son starts telling him, you know, I, I got to the point where 
I took, I, he owns guns and he said, I, I got to the point where I took one and I actually put it up to my head, you know, a day ago. And so my friend's telling me, what am I supposed to do? Now I say that this is different because obviously if it's a third party, if it's a patient of mine, if it's somebody who's not related to me or very close to me, um, it's, it's easier to handle. It's easier. And what I mean by that, it's easier to think clearly and say, okay, these are the next logical steps we need to do. Um, you know, I don't feel like I need to go rescue the person. I feel like I need to help the person. In this case, all of a sudden, when it becomes a family member for any of us who are out there, uh, who've experienced this, it doesn't have to be as drastic as somebody putting a gun to their head, but it could be somebody saying, you know, I don't want to live anymore. And they might not have a plan in place. They might not be thinking that, you know, they've got pills stashed away or things along those lines, but what are you going to do when you get that phone call? What are you going to do when your family member might reach out to you and say, Hey, I'm thinking that this is it. I, I don't want to be here anymore. I kind of want to end it all. It's a challenging place to be in because all of a sudden I found myself instead of being in helping mode, I became, I want to go rescue mode. And that's when I realized when I wasn't thinking straight, cause he was saying, Hey, would you be able to go talk to him? And I said, you know, this is where it gets a little bit challenging. If you ever reach out to any of your friends who might be professionals and they tell you, you know, I don't know that I can do this for you. I'm not the right person for it. That's what I had to tell him. I had to say, I'm not the right person for it. This is where a doctor can't treat their family or somebody who's too close to them. And I had enough sense to tell him that because originally I felt like saying, Hey, I gotta, I gotta get in there. I gotta go, you know, help him out and make sure that he's okay. But the way I was feeling, I thought, no, this is, this is too real. I'm not going to be the person who's going to be able to help them. Just like his dad, like my friend who called me, he wanted to rescue him. And so I told him, as soon as I told him, you know, I don't, I'm not going to be able to treat him. I'm not going to be able to take him on my caseload. I started thinking clearly. I, there was a whole lot of pressure taken off of me at that point because I started thinking, yeah, this is the right thing to do. You know, I can't, I can't take this on. It's too, I'm too close to it. That's just what happens. That's just what happens. And this is why I say this, because sometimes if you find yourself as a family member in this situation, you got to remember and hopefully you have enough sense in that time. And by sense, I don't mean that you're not thinking, uh, you know, that you're not smart. It's just that when it's a high pressure situation, sometimes it's hard to think clearly, but hopefully we have enough sense to think clearly and say, I'm going to hear, I'm going to hear to help you out for the moment, but you're going to need professional help. You're going to need to go talk to somebody. We're going to need to, we need to walk through this and think through this. Um, because if you find that you're feeling helpless at the time, that's okay. That's probably exactly where you need to be. That's exactly probably how you need to feel. I'm pretty helpless right now. I don't know how to help you. I don't know what to do. So you're telling me that you're feeling so down, so depressed. You don't want to live anymore. And you're already planning your exit from this world. Is that pretty fair? You know, is that, is that a fair situation? That's a scary situation to be in all around. And I think it's scary for different people at different levels. On the one hand, well, we're going to talk about the different levels when we come back from the break, but it's okay to feel scared. I, I had to take a step back because I thought to myself, wow, why am I feeling so ajar as he's calling me and telling me this? I'm a professional. I handle this all the day. Every day I handle this all the time. It's so different when it's your family member that it's going to be different for each person involved. When we come back from the break, we're going to talk about what are those differences, what each person might be experiencing, and how we can best help somebody in that situation. 
right, well, welcome back to Virgin Most Powerful Radio. You're listening to the Dr. Luis Sandoval Show. As always, I am your host, Dr. Luis Sandoval. Today we're talking about what do we do? How do we help a family member or a friend or somebody close to us who might be thinking that they're ready to check out, that they're ready to end their life? I think that this is such an appropriate topic. You know, it's funny how God works. Uh, we always say God works in mysterious ways and for sure in our lives, we think it's mysterious, it's clear to God, but I think it's a very appropriate way to uh, end the month here of the Sacred Heart, to close the month of the Sacred Heart, to ask ourselves, what's going on in our hearts? Where are our hearts? Where are people's hearts? And really, what are we living for? That's really what the, the bottom line is going to come down to. You know, let's go through and look at the scenario, just in terms of what different people might be thinking in this case. You might find yourself in different cases. You might be, you know, one of our listeners might be the person who thought about ending their life. It's not uncommon. It's a common thought, you know, but there's a big difference when it comes to suicide um, to say, you know, sometimes I think I don't want to live. Very common feeling happens all the time. Gosh, I don't think I want to live um, versus saying, I think I'm going to end my life. You know, I don't think I want to live. That happens a lot. We've got a big challenge happening. We're going to take a big test in college and we didn't really study for it. And kids will fantasize, if I get in a car accident right now, gosh, I don't have to take the exam. I'll have a great excuse. It'll give me a little bit longer time to study. In fact, I'll be in my hospital, in the hospital bed, and I could just have my books and nobody's going to bother me. Oh, I'll really know the material. By the time I heal, I can take the test. Now, does that person really want to die? No, they don't, they don't really want to end their life. They don't want to not be alive. They're just so stressed out about a particular situation that they're imagining a scenario where they're going to get around it, even if it means putting themselves in bodily harm. That's a fantasy, as we say. It's not something that they really want to happen. They just want that stress to go away. They want to feel better. They want to feel good. Okay. So that's one perspective. When does it get scary? When should I start to worry? Obviously, in the story I gave, somebody puts a gun to their head. That's pretty obvious. However, you want to get into the into the thick of it. You want to get some details. Here are some of the things that I would look at, first of all. The big person that we focus on, obviously, is the one who is going to potentially end their life or who's thinking that way. The main question is to ask ourselves is this. As family members, should we ever bring up the topic of suicide? Should I ever bring up to somebody Hey, do you feel like you want to end your life? Do you feel so sad that you want to kill yourself? A lot of times we're afraid to do that because we think, oh man, I don't want to put that thought in their head or I don't want to bring it up. And then all of a sudden that's the reason that they ended their life. It's not going to happen that way. What I can tell you is this. If somebody's already thinking about ending their life, if somebody's already thinking and saying, I don't want to live anymore, there's there's nothing that you're going to do or there's nothing that you're going to say that's going to trigger them further into it unless you tell them unless you encourage it directly or or tell them give them plans or ideas or tell them that yeah their life's not worth it and that they should if if we're going to feed into that well that's where it starts getting you know where we start hearing the voices and i hear people tell me oh doc i hear voices of demons and that's diabolical at that point if somebody's telling you you know end your life but the idea of asking somebody compassionately asking somebody truly with the heart of saying, I want your well-being and asking them, hey, have you ever thought about ending your life? Is that what's happening here? You seem down lately. You seem a little depressed. 
that's not going to do anything because for us now talking about this, as we're talking about suicide, is anybody thinking, oh yeah, this is maybe something I should do. Dr. Sandoval's talking about it and, and now it's in my mind and this is something I should do. No, we're not built that way as human beings. We have to talk about it. We, as doctors, we go to lectures on this. If I go to a lecture on suicide, it's not going to make me want to commit suicide. It's not going to incline me to say, oh yeah, wow, I just heard this lecture on suicide. I think it's an important topic because really what we're talking about when we talk about suicide, what we're really talking about is life, right? We're talking about ending life. We're talking about is life important or not? The person going through this, at that point, they don't feel that their life is that important. They don't feel that... Um, that it's worth it to interact with human beings or that there's any hope in their life or that their life's going to get any better or they feel like there's something so bad that happened that can't be fixed. This is where we start to fall into the sin of despair. When we start to ask, you know, so, or when we start to think, there's something so serious in my life that even God can't fix it. That's where we start getting into despair. Now, one thing that I will say is this, if anybody's ever had a loved one commit suicide or know somebody who's committed suicide, the old teaching in the church was if somebody committed suicide, automatically they went to hell. That was the idea. They were saying it's such an egregious sin that they went to hell. And so sometimes they wouldn't even hold funerals for somebody who committed suicide. They'd say, sorry, we can't. It's too late now. And they, they, they ended their life. Good luck. That's not the teaching now. So. I would hate for anybody to think that. And I'm glad that that's not the teaching. It's appropriate for that to no longer be the teaching because what we have to consider is that if somebody's at that point where they're going to commit suicide, they're not thinking clearly. They're probably actually looking for mercy, but they just feel so overwhelmed. I don't think that they necessarily hate God. I don't think that they're necessarily turning away from God. I think that they're just in so much pain at that moment that they're not thinking that there's any hope. Now, is that to say that they don't rely on God's mercy? No. Is that to say that if somebody committed suicide, they can't go to heaven? Absolutely not. We hear stories of this. I don't know if anybody's ever heard or read of the life of St. John Vianney, patron saint of priests. There was a story there where St. John Vianney was such a popular person to go to confession to that people would actually stand in line. Um, and the line would go around the church for blocks maybe twist around two three times people would have to wait two three days to get to him for confession so as he's sitting there in the confessional there's a woman in particular who whose husband had committed suicide years before and she was always very very mortified she thought oh he went to hell i just know he went to hell but she was praying for him praying for him praying for him and she thought she heard of this priest she heard of this great priest father john Vianney, who was an amazing confessor who could tell you what your sins were, who could see things, who had many, many gifts from the Holy Spirit. And she thought, I got to go talk to this guy because I just can't get this idea that my, my husband committed suicide. I'm thinking he's in hell. I need to pray for him. I don't want him in hell. What can I do? You know, at that point, obviously, if somebody is in hell, the church teaches, there's no going back. There's nothing we can do for that. Can we pray for our dead? Sure. God will use our prayers anywhere he needs them. The prayers never go to waste. Uh, if somebody is unfortunately in uh, in the state of hell and we pray for them and uh, what's going to happen to that prayer, God will know what to do with that prayer. We don't know exactly who went to hell or who didn't go to hell because that's really between the person and God. It's such a 
it's such an intimate moment it's such a private moment it's such a personal moment that we always pray for everybody that we have a holy death that we're ready to receive god's mercy this lady wasn't sure what happened to her husband she figured you know this is this is years ago so the idea was if he committed suicide he probably went to hell she was mortified so she goes to church and she's not ready she can't stand in line for three days to get her answer she goes to church and she goes to church she goes to pray but father Vianney comes out of the confessional and he's looking for her because somehow he knows that there's somebody that he needs to speak to and he knows exactly what he needs to tell her and she goes up to him and she's or he goes up to her and says hi you're here to ask me about your husband and she's dumbfounded how do you know this and he says yeah you're, you're here because you're worried because you're saying that your husband passed away but he committed suicide and you're wondering if if uh, he's in heaven or hell and whatnot and she says yes and he says you know what don't he's in heaven you're fine don't worry about it and she's start, she's just in shock how do you know this how do you know that my husband's in heaven and he said well you know this is what jesus told me he said your husband wasn't a very religious man he was an atheist he he didn't believe in god he you know he didn't have an idea of, of god's mercy said but when he died jesus and he talked and what jesus told him and the reason he could get to heaven was because of your prayers because you've been praying for him so we got to remember that our prayers are powerful and because he never opposed you putting up pictures of christ leading your catholic faith he might not have understood it but he didn't make fun of you for it and he accepted you for it and he said if it's important to you go ahead that was enough that was enough in the eyes of christ for him to say hey you can get into heaven we can we can get you in here that's a pretty big deal that's the extent of god's mercy this is why this is so appropriate to speak about when we talk about the sacred heart to what extent is god's mercy to what extent can we have hope for people who have turned away from god because that's really what kind of we think about when it's suicide but that's not the way we need to think about it. suicide isn't somebody turning away from god it's somebody turning away from life from our life here on earth from from wanting to exist we no longer want to exist sometimes sin is turning our, our sight away from god when we no longer have god in mind when we no longer do things to move forward in the eyes of god to step in the direction towards being closer to god that's when we sin we turn away from god but suicide isn't like that the idea that somebody wants to end their life it can be shocking but it's not about i hate god at that point the person's so turned into themselves that they don't even see god that they only see themselves if i look at myself without having the hope of god being around me it's going to be an ugly picture it's god that makes us whole and it's god that makes us with dignity and worthwhile and living and whatnot and that's the hard part when we're thinking about suicide we're, we don't see that anymore we're so overwhelmed that we can't see the love of god and sometimes the love of others so this is where i say this is why i titled the show i love you in the month of the sacred heart how often do we think about love we think about love sometimes you know as we do like in valentine's day we say the word love and it sounds like a really cheesy word you know love means cards and flowers and chocolates and dates and uh, things of that nature but we think about that that's the commercial way to think of love but love really comes down to hey when you are feeling broken when you're feeling down am i here for you can i still tell you that I, that I love you can i still tell you that you matter 
So let's look at this one at a time again. So we're talking about the person who might want to end their life. What are they thinking? They're probably not thinking clearly. They're probably in a whole lot of pain, a lot of emotional pain, a whole lot of mental anguish. And they're probably already living a hell type of existence. This is what happens when somebody's depressed, suffering from major depression, depressive disorder, um, feeling hopeless. They're kind of in a state of hell, if you will. They're in a state where nothing is good. Nothing can be better. I can't, they can't remember a time where, where they were ever happy. They're always going to be unhappy. Uh, and it doesn't matter what anybody says. It's just bad. That sounds like hell. That's pretty much what it drives somebody to. This is what's going to take somebody to say, hey, this is nothing's good. Why should I stick around? When we think about somebody wanting to end their life, all of a sudden we're thinking about death. What I usually tell people is, hey, when your loved one, if your loved one is thinking about this, what are you going to do? So we understand what the person who might be thinking about ending their life is going through. What do we do if we're the ones who encounter our loved one and, or they tell us, hey, I want to end my life. What am I supposed to do as either the friend, as a parent, as a brother, the sister, as a loved one? Well, we're going to talk more about that when we come back from the break. All right, well, welcome back to Dr. Luis Sandoval Show here on Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Today, we're talking about, here we are, the month of the Sacred Heart. What's in our hearts? Do we have life in our hearts? Do we have hope in our hearts? Are we spreading that to other people? Are we rem reminding other people that they're important, not just to us, but that they're important in God's eyes? Are we reminding other people that they matter, that they matter to us, and that we matter all around? This is really what it comes down to. This is when, when we start thinking about why would somebody end their life? They've lost that connection to life itself. They've lost that sense that my life matters. I'm important. This is what's going to happen when, if we're a family member, if we're a friend, if we're somebody who all of a sudden is confided in by somebody who wants to end their life, what do we do? That's a lot of pressure. It's a lot of, you know, we start to feel like, oh my goodness, I have to be here. If I'm not here, they're going to end their life. One of the biggest challenges, and this is something I found out as I was going um, through my rotations in psychiatry when I was a medical student and then when I was a resident, it was very hard to accept because obviously you want to save everybody as a doctor. That's your natural inclination. As a family member, that's going to be your natural inclination. But one of the things that I learned that one of my attendings told me that was very true was this. He said, you know, if somebody really wants to end their life, they're going to do it. Whether you're standing with them 24 hours a day, whether you have them on watch, because that's what happens, right? Somebody comes to the hospital and they say, I want to end my life. We admit them into the psychiatric ward and we put them on, on watch, right? There's somebody checking in on them every five minutes, every 15 minutes, depending on how they're doing making sure that they're getting their medication or making sure that they're taken care of or, you know, all these different things go into play all of a sudden. A lot of, a lot of uh, alarms get triggered. But in a hospital setting, you're able to have a very controlled situation where you have somebody laying eyes on the person all the time. Has there ever been a suicide in a psychiatric hospital? It would seem impossible. You got nurses, you got doctors, you got medical students, you got other patients, 
you would think, well, there's no way. There's no way anybody can commit suicide there. Actually, yeah, there has been. There's been lots of all. It happens all the time. Well, I shouldn't say all the time, but it does happen. And when it does happen, this is where we take a look in the hospital setting. Where did we go wrong? We're supposed to be the most controlled setting for this. And yet somebody might have still taken their life there. It can happen. It can absolutely happen. I say this not to dishearten people, but a lot of times as family members or as a friend who somebody comes to us, our loved one comes to us and says, I think I want to end my life. A lot of times we feel shackled and we feel like, oh my gosh, I cannot leave this person alone. What am I going to do? They're going to end their life. Now I have to be with them 24-7. Now I have to look at them 24-7. Now I have to check in on them 24-7 all the time. Cannot get my eyes off of them. It's not going to work that way. If a person, unfortunately, really already feels that they want to do this, they're going to find a way to do it, believe it or not. It's going to, it's going to happen whether you, whether you uh, are there 24 hours a day or whether you just check in on them, if that's where their heart is, if that's where their mind is. What is your level of responsibility at that point, though? Because it's going to be impossible. I can't stop my life completely and just focus on one person. I kind of feel guilty over that. If if it's a if it's a loved one, you know, if I can, sure, why not? Maybe somebody can take time off work. Maybe different family members can come in and help. But it's easy to feel guilty and to feel like I really need to um, drop everything and be on watch. The reality is this: our responsibility at that point is one to make sure that they are safe right there and then. So the example I was giving is I got a phone call from a friend and he talked to me about his son. And he said, yeah, his son, my son had a gun to his head. And I said, okay, well, the first thing I want to find out is, was this right now? Was it this morning? Was it this second? So no, it was a few days ago. Okay. So that's a whole different perspective. Somebody comes up to me, let's say this were a family member and they said, um, yeah, I, I think I'm thinking I want in my life. I had my, I've got, you know, a gun to my head a few days ago, or I've got my pills that I've been stashing for a while. I've got a bunch of pills, or I can, you know, just go to the pharmacy and buy whatever over the counter, uh, things I've got a plan in place. In other words. Okay. Well, when did you try to use this plan a couple of days ago? Should I worry to a certain extent? We should always, you know, be concerned and worried. However, this moment already passed. What I would ask at that point is, okay, well, where are you at now? Where are you at today? Where are you at at this moment? Because even as a doctor, I can't, if if I were to call, well, let's say that you're the family member. And at that point they say, yeah, I, I did this a couple of days ago. And you were to say, I got to call 911 because you feel like you're going to hurt yourself. And a couple of days ago you did this. You can call 911. You can get the ambulance there. You can get, you know, the paramedics there, whoever shows up. And then once you show up, once they show up, they're going to say, okay, well, where's this person? And they're going to say, I'm, I'm here. I didn't even want you guys to come, but my family member, you know, pulled the trigger or well, I shouldn't say that pull the trigger. Right. So that my family member very quickly called you, um, with that, because they were panicking and they were worried I was going to hurt myself and you show up. And then now the person who wanted to end their life says, no, I'm not going to hurt myself right now. That was t- two days ago. That was three days ago. That was last week. No, right now I feel fine. Nope. I'm not going to do anything. Nope. I don't have a plan in place. What's going to happen? Usually what happens at that point, the paramedics or firefighters say, well, thank you for calling us. Safety is always first. We always appreciate uh, um, or we're we're always happy to help. We're happy that you did reach out. If you do feel that way again, give us a call. We can't take him to the hospital. Now, the family member saying, 
but you got to take them to the hospital. You got to take them in. You got you got to help them out. This is they're not feeling good. Now, our obligation is to make sure that there's no imminent threat of death, meaning that they're not going to do something there and then. That's the obligation. Is it happening right now? Are they going to try to end their life right now? If they're not, okay, then we're going to talk. Then we're going to see where you're at. Okay, so you don't want to do this right now. Where, when, uh, um, what are your plans for the future? Do you think you want to do this tomorrow? Do you think you want to do this tonight? Do you have a plan in place still? Just because somebody said, you know, gosh, I put a gun to my head last week, does not mean that that's going to be their plan next week. You can go in there and you can say, okay, well, let's get rid of these guns. Or let's get rid of your, your means here. Okay, they don't have the gun anymore. But again, they could say, well, I'll find a pill. I'll find a rope. I'll find different things to do. Because if that's where the mind is, it's not about one particular modality. It's about, I just want to end my life. I got to get my blood life out of my body and no longer be here or suffocate or breathe in gas. There's lots of different ways, unfortunately, to end our life. My point with that is, as a family member, it's not going to be possible to totally get rid of every single possible way that somebody can harm themselves. But what we can do is say this, be very honest. If you feel like you're going to hurt yourself, I'm going to call 911 every time. I need you to know that. Sometimes the people get mad and they say, no, I don't want you to call. It's not your choice. The same way, I don't want you to end your life. It's not my choice. You have free will. I, I don't want you to end your life. But I'm going to do everything I can to help you out. So I will be calling 911 because I take this seriously. Because, this is where the big words come in, because I love you. You know, it's amazing how many times I've seen family members and friends um, come into clinics or hospitals, and they're worried about their loved one who has suicidal ideation, but they haven't stopped to just tell them that they love them, to slow everything down, to say, you know what, whatever's going on is not that big a deal. Let's just live life. Let's just enjoy the fact that we exist. Let's just, you know, talk for a little while here. They don't do that. They're just very worried about, I don't want you to hurt yourself. I don't want you to die. But we start to forget that we need to ask them or talk about, no, I want you to live. What are we living for? This is what we've got to start talking about different options. We've got to, we've got to have that communication to say, I don't want you to die, but this is what we have to live for. I think it's very eye-opening for everybody involved because it becomes very real. Death becomes very real at that moment. The idea of suicide makes death very real. But how many times do we stop and ask ourselves, what am I living for? You know, there's that old adage, that old saying, you got to stop and smell the roses. Well, that's great. But really, as a Catholic, I got to ask myself, where is my life headed? God gave me existence. What am I doing with my existence? What direction am I heading in? Am I hopeful that even if things are hard, God is still guiding me? God is still helping me out. God is still showing me the path towards him. And I choose to take that path towards him. This is where, if we are that family member who got confided in, I got to continue to believe that for myself as well. Okay, God, I'm not sure what's going on right now. I'm not sure why my loved one feels this way. I'm going to be there for them as much as I can. And all I'm going to do is be supportive and say, I'm here. I'm here to talk. I'm glad that you confided in me. But if we need to get help, I'm going to get help. What that does, a lot of times we worry and say, oh, well, then they're not going to tell me that they're going to hurt themselves and they're going to end their life. I got to tell you, as a doctor, that's one of the things that we ask and we say, so 
do you feel like you want to hurt yourself or end your life? A lot of patients get frustrated because they come to therapy and they're like, no, I don't. You keep asking that every time. And I say, I have to. That's just part of our job. Every single time I see you, I have to ask you that. Now, people roll their eyes. At the same time, what we got to remember is, no matter how many times I ask that, the person still has free will. So if I tell them, yeah, I'm going to put you in the hospital, if that's the case, you know, they could get upset, but I'd rather be upset alive than upset dead. That's just fair. The other thing is, the more I ask them, the more they realize that we take it seriously. Now, the patient who was truly going to hurt themselves during their life, one patient one time said, when I say, do you feel like you're going to hurt yourself? They say, no. Say, if you do feel that way, do you think you'd get, would you give us a call? Would you reach out to somebody? Most people say, yeah, of course I would, because I feel down. But the person who was going to really do this said, if I was going to do that, why would I call you? Why would I reach out to you? They're serious about this now. They're really going to, they, they really have a plan in place. And at that point, there's nothing we can do. Should I feel hopeless or scared? I should feel like I need to be as honest as possible with my loved one. I have to be as honest as possible with myself. And a lot of times, what would I say in that situation? I would say, you're in control, you're in charge. And I hope that you don't take that route. I am here to help you. And I will find every means possible to help you, even if that means getting you to the hospital. But I hope that you, out of your own free will, do not take that route of action. Why? Because at that point, I am not responsible for other people's actions. It's a hard pill to swallow, but we're going to talk more about what that means when we come back from... All right, folks, well, welcome back to Virgin Most Powerful Radio. You are listening to the Dr. Louis Sandoval Show. Today, we're talking about what do we do? How do we handle situations? What are we responsible for? If somebody comes to us and tells us that they want to end their life, or if a friend of ours comes to us and tells us that their loved one confided this in them. Before the break, we were talking about what am I responsible for if somebody does come to me? and say, I want to end my life. So as a physician, obviously, I'm a mandated reporter. If they're my patient, I have to report it. I call the authorities. I call 911, and I'll make sure that they get to the hospital and get evaluated and make sure that they get the appropriate treatment. That's my responsibility at that level. That's if they're my patient. In my friend's case, who called me and told me that his son was ready to end his life, what's his responsibility? So his responsibility technically is to make sure that He's supportive that he tells his son at that point that he loves him, that there's something to live for, and to call 911 if we know that there's an imminent threat. The most important thing that we're responsible for is to let the person know that we're here for them. That can be very, very challenging, especially if our loved one confided something like this in us and actually went through with it. Because then a lot of things go through our mind. They told me I wasn't there for them. If only I would have called them. If only I would have uh, said the right words. If only I would have done this differently. If only, gosh, I got so many regrets. Why didn't I do this or that? There's nothing really you could have done at that point. Because again, it comes down to this. Did you tell the person you cared? Did you tell the person that they could trust in you if they needed to reach out? Did you let the person know that you were going to get them help? That's it. You've reached your level of responsibility. 
There's not much else you can do because we each individually have something called free will. It's almost the equivalent if, as if a friend of mine or a loved one of mine or of any of ours tells us, I'm going to go sin. I'm going to go commit a mortal sin. I don't care anymore. What's my responsibility? That's spiritual suicide. And they say, I'm going to go commit a mortal sin. My responsibility at that point is to tell them, I hope you don't. That's not going to be good for your soul. You're going to die spiritually. You're going to be away from God. But I can't stop you from doing that, unfortunately. This is where God gave us free will. I can't stop you from choosing to end your life. That's a tough pill to swallow. That's tough to accept, but that's true for any of us. Who can stop me from sinning? Nobody. If I really choose to, that's what's going to happen. How responsible is everybody around me for my actions? Pretty much zero. I'm responsible for my own actions 100% of the time. And this is the same for anybody who eventually says, you know, I think I'm going to end my life. You're not necessarily responsible for their actions. You're responsible to support them, to use whatever means necessary to get them to the hospital, to make sure that they're safe. Yes, to remove any items that they might feel that they're going to use to end their life, if you can. They have a stash of pills that they've been saving. If they do have any weapons in the house, if there is a means that they're going to use, of course, remove that. Let them know you're going to remove that. Let them know you want their safety. But it's really hard because we feel responsible because we love the person. We absolutely love the person. So one of the things to consider too is this is why this person came to you because they love you, because they trust you, because they know that at some point you love them, even if they don't feel lovable at that time. As a person in direct contact with them, it feels like a huge responsibility. And the reality is our responsibility at that point is to love them, to be Christ for them, to say, you're going through something very difficult. And I'm here to walk with you as much as I can while you go through this journey. I hope you don't take your life. I hope you don't do that. And I'm going to do everything I can to help you to help you feel better, to help you start to enjoy life again. Is there anything I can do for you in your estimation that would help? That's a great question. Now, be ready for the answer because this is sometimes where people might come to you and tell you that they think they want to end their life, but really they just feel like they're in a tough spot and they need a way out. So this is where you might ask that question and they might say, yeah, I need a million dollars. And then you say, well, I can't do that. You know, I don't know what kind of debts you have, but I can't do that. So that can be pretty challenging. But the reality is, I need to be there for you as a person. And this comes down to probably what's going to happen to the majority of us if we're ever in this situation is more what happened to me, where you get the phone call, you're a third party, you're not directly involved. As a doctor, I still had no responsibilities in this case because this was not my direct patient. This was the equivalent to a family member or a friend who I wouldn't be able to treat anyway. I became a third party. I became an independent person outside the scenario who I'm connected to through my friendship. Now, if you find yourself in that situation where this is probably where the majority of people would be, where somebody comes to us because if somebody's, if, if my kid is going to want to end their life or something, I might talk to a few different people. We might find ourselves as one of those few different people. If we are, what do we do? What's our responsibility at that point? Our responsibility really is to check in with our friend or whoever confided this in us and say, how are you doing? Because a lot of the times we lose that focus and we forget that, yes, there is a person who might want to end their life, but how is the person who received the news? Where's their level of 
anxiety, depression, despair, anything along those lines, that's going to be important to consider because they could all of a sudden fall into the trap. One of the questions that I would look at is, does depression run in the family? Is this the first time that they've experienced this? Do they start to feel like they want to end their life? You know, there was a situation one time I remember where uh, it was a father-son, the son ended his life, and as a result, the father felt into a great depression and he ended up ending his life. Nobody thought he would because everybody was so focused on, gosh, this, you know, the son very quickly or very recently this happened. And we think, gosh, when that happens, people start looking at their own lives and think, oh, I don't want to end my life. I really, now I need to change my life around or I have a new appreciation for life. But we forget and that in that case, well, the dad wanted to end his life too. Why? Because depression ran in the family. And as his son committed suicide, well, he fell into a deep depression. And he started to think about ending his life, and he did. We can't forget to continue to think of others. This is where the sacred heart of Christ comes in. This is where the idea of mercy comes in. As human beings, we're going to find ourselves in these very tricky situations. We're going to find ourselves in these situations that can be overwhelming. Suicide is definitely one of those that's a, that's a grabber of life, that's a grabber of thoughts that makes us stop and say, what's this all about? To what extent can I help somebody? Now, I'm sure that there's so many things that I didn't cover on the show because you got to remember, I'm thinking of this and I'm talking about this more as somebody who's involved in the situation than as a therapist. I'm thinking of this as everyday life. How do I handle the situation? I got to be there for my friend and say, look, if you're not able to call 911 for your, for your son, maybe I'll do it for you. Because a lot of times parents are like, no, I don't know that I can do that. It seems like too much. Maybe they need that third party. Maybe they need that person who's a little bit more removed to be able to make some challenging decisions for them. And not every case is the same. We can't say, oh, this is cookie cutter. This is the way that we're going to handle every one of these cases. It's not going to work that way. Everybody's different. Every scenario is different. And a lot of times you just got to go with what's going on in that time. But What's never out of favor, what's never going to be wrong, is to bring prayer and Christ into the situation. A lot of times we forget and we say, what can I do for you? What scenario can I change for you? Or how can I support you? But the reality is, what if we say, well, where is Christ in your life right now? Have you gone to church? Are you in a feeling depression because you haven't gone to confession? Do we need to do an examination of, of conscience? I can't do that for that person. But this is where we forget that there is a very strong spiritual component. This is what I think the month of the Sacred Heart should really remind us of more than anything else. We're living a spiritual reality within our physical bodies. We are a soul and a body melded into one. That's how we're built as human beings. That's what a human being really is. It's a physical body and a soul put together. By definition, that's a human being the way God made us. So what does that mean? One of the things that means is that we are creatures, since it's God made us, we come from love, we require love. The month of the Sacred Heart reminds us of that. If I look at the Sacred Heart, I got to look at extreme love. The difference between suicide and what Christ did for us is huge. Christ gave up his life for us. Christ took the bullet for us. He ended his life. I should say he didn't end up his life. He gave up his life. 
It's kind of like if I see somebody attacking my loved one, I jump in front of that bullet. I just gave my life for somebody else to live. The difference between that, because a lot of times people will tell me, you know, when they want to challenge our religion, they say, well, Jesus committed suicide. Well, no, he did not. Oh, but he gave himself up to over to the authorities. Well, yeah, he did. But yeah, but then he committed suicide. He let them kill him. Well, it wasn't suicide because he didn't take his own life. So by definition, it wasn't. But, you know, and a lot of times in society, we say, oh, there's suicide by cop because somebody calls the authorities and has a weapon and knows that the cops are going to kill him. That's not at all what Christ did. Christ saw what's happening to a spiritual. And he's saying, if I don't do this, you're going to die. I'm going to jump in front of this bullet. I'm going to jump in front of this moving train. I'm going to jump in front of this accident that you're about to go into so that you don't have to go through it. Those are the actions of Christ. That's what that comes down to. How many times are we willing to do the same spiritually for other people? This is where I think that there's a lot of internal suicide. I think there's a lot of internal death that people are living spiritually because we are forgetting to give up our lives for other people. Really, the same, and what do I mean by that? Our spiritual lives. When was the last time we made a sacrifice for somebody else? You know, I'm not going to eat that candy bar. I really want it right now, or that cookie, or whatever it is. But I'm not going to do that because I know that spiritually that's going to have an effect for somebody else and it's going to make them feel better. I'm going to fast for them. I'm going to go to communion and I'm going to offer my communion for somebody's well being. When was the last time we did that? That's spiritual life. I think that we've lost a big sense of that in life. And that is why the ideas of death and hopelessness are rampant in our society, really, more than anything else. Why is it that we're not joyful people anymore? Why is it that it seems like the whole world is just going to war? We're focused so much more on technology and what's the latest technology. We've stopped focusing on when was the last time somebody said, hey, how's our spiritual life? What is it that we're doing? What is it? Are we getting closer to heaven? How is my spiritual life? Because when we ask that, what I don't want to hear is how's my spiritual death? Which way are we heading? When it comes to the idea of suicide, the most important thing I want anybody to instill in each other is hope. And that's the hope of the Sacred Heart. When I look at the picture of the Sacred Heart, when I look at the month of June, I say, Jesus is giving us life, physical and spiritual. Are we here to do the same for each other? Folks, I leave us with a biblical quote here at the end of the show. And this is from Christ himself. Let me find it again here. And it says, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? This is from Matthew chapter 12, verse 36 through 40. Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and all the prophets hang on these two commandments. I think if we can start loving God first and loving our neighbor as ourselves, we're going to have a whole lot left suicide, whether it's physical or spiritual. Until next week, keep it Catholic.